You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by Win, women in innovation. In each episode, inspiring female innovators share stories of succeeding against the odds in a male-driven industry. Their experiences come from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and innovation departments in Fortune 500 companies. I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, brand strategy consultant and global marketing lead at Win. Eva Goikochea is unafraid to talk about sex, whether it is gender equality or the sexual wellness industry in which she is a CEO and founder of the brand Mod. Eva spent her early career as a legislative aide in healthcare at the California Medical Association, but used her marketing education to work in e-commerce and brand strategy after with companies including Adidas, Squarespace, and Josie Moran Cosmetics. She's also an early Everlane team member where she solely built out their social media, culture, and talent strategies. In 2015, Eva began to develop Mod a modern sexual wellness company built to challenge a legacy industry and serve the customer through quality, simplicity, and inclusivity. Since its launch in April 2018, Mod has been featured in Vogue, The New York Times, Fast Company, and some other 500-plus publications. The brand was referred to as redefining the sex essentials industry for modern consumers by Forbes, and Eva is one of the only 60 Latina women to have raised over $1 million in venture funding. Today, on the Win Win Podcast, we discuss sexual wellness and changing the conversation in an industry that is typically deemed taboo. I hope you enjoy our conversation about what it means to innovate in sexual wellness and the importance of this industry for general health and well-being, as shared by Eva. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. We are so happy to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So you are CEO and founder of Mod, a modern-day sexual wellness company. So what does that mean? What is Mod? Well, you know, the first thing to note is that the condom industry has been the same for 100 years. <laughs> so as a company launched in 2018, um, it, it feels modern. Uh, yeah, so we are a gender and age-inclusive sexual wellness company that is really built around intimacy. And so we have products um, that kind of range. And yeah, we're, we're a business that really has become sort of synonymous, hopefully, with intimacy for people. And so what is your personal and professional background and how did that lead you to where you are today being a founder and CEO of your own business? Yeah, so I studied marketing in New York, but I took a detour and I went back to California where I grew up half my life and I I fell into being a legislative aide in healthcare, which was really interesting. But I think it was formative for me to understand, at least now, what, what healthcare and consumer health looks like. Uh, and then I went back into marketing. I worked for a bunch of companies and worked with clients like Adidas and then landed at Everlane as one of the first employees. And when I left Everlane about a year and a half later, because they were closing their Los Angeles office, I really wanted to go work for um, like a startup that focused on health. And sexual wellness had been something that I always thought was really an underserved category, that it hadn't been modernized at all. And I started working on MOD. So that was in 2015. And, you know, I always make the joke. It's like, while it felt like my path to get here wasn't very linear, if you think about what I've done, it's prepared me completely to run MOD. What was the pain point that you were trying to solve by the time you started the company? So why this brand and and why now? I think 
if you look at sex and the way that it's been talked about and marketed for decades, it's really been either very taboo or it's really, really commoditized and transactional. And so you think about, you go to the drugstore, you buy these condoms, it's a really uncomfortable experience. But when you think about really what sexual wellness means, it's it's such a, obviously it's an intimate part of your life, but it's this thing that that is really, it affects your health and it affects your psychological well-being and it affects your relationships. And it, so it's something that really is so important and no company was really tackling it from the angle of it's a human thing and it's an emotional thing. And so we wanted to build a company where we offered these really great basics and we made people feel less uncomfortable with the purchase, but we also wanted them to feel like they could think about sex and intimacy as a part of their everyday lives without judgment, without fear or shame. So that's why I started Mod. I, I like, I mean, I make the joke I liked selling t-shirts, um, radically transparent t-shirts, but I, I, it, for me, it wasn't the impact and the emotional importance was not the same. Why do you think that people are and were so uncomfortable, you know, buying condoms or, or talking about sex and sexuality? I think we, we've compartmentalized it, right? So, you know, we're a very, we're a very puritanical society in some ways. We're obviously seeing, especially today of all days, we're seeing discussion around our own bodies and our own rights and access and all of these things. I think that we just haven't been able to have very basic conversations. And if you actually look at the industry, and I won't bore you too much, it was always related to what was happening politically. So the way these things were marketed were so tied to discomfort and and sort of a disparity in thought around where sex should be in your life. It was about family planning, and then it was about AIDS, and then it was about that it ha- nobody's really taken it and said, look, this is an everyday conversation, a- and all adults have sex. We're here because someone had sex. So it's a complicated issue, and I think that that's what's made it harder for people to feel um, comfortable talking about it. But I think it's also been perpetuated to be an uncomfortable discussion and topic because of the industry is the long answer. (laughs) You've yourself spoken even in this conversation about sexual wellness as a part of healthcare and personal well-being. How do you think your background as a legislative aide in healthcare at the California Medical Association impacted the way you've done product development or approached the problem that you're trying to solve? So I think it was mostly about approaching the problem because I, you know, I was only a legislative aide for a few years, but what I, what I was, there was a couple of instances that were so striking in terms of the disconnect between what is big pharma or what is the medical world versus like what it does to the consumer to not have access. And so I would, you know, I would be exposed to or writing or whatever on certain healthcare bills. And you think like, this is a piece of legislation and it's getting decided um, by senators and, you know, behind the scenes. And then you would see, especially when, when we, you know, CMA often heard from patients, you would then have somebody come and testify and they were like, this is what this bill did to my life. And it changed it for the worse or changed it for the better. And so that experience just made me realize like the disconnect between what a customer feels and then what an industry does. And like Any entrepreneur, you have, of course, likely been raising capital or have raised capital. What's it been like to not only be a woman raising venture funding, but also Latinx woman to be raising funding? 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was an interesting endeavor to walk into rooms and be talking about sex. I think of it in such a normal everyday way that it I could be talking about like it could be potato chips for all I, you know, it's not <laughs> I walk into the room and I'm so I'm so desensitized to it. But I realized in reaction that people were like, "Oh my god, you're talking to me about sex." So I think the first the first challenge was getting people to feel comfortable about the topic. The second one was as an industry, it's pretty nascent. It hasn't been changed. So fighting them to believe it was needed. I also think it's like when you're raising money when and there's been no one that's truly gone before you, it's a big gamble. So that's what makes it difficult. As far as being a Latina, I don't know that anybody thinks I am, which is frustrating in and of itself because um, at times it's led to it's led to the assumption that I don't have um, a diverse background enough to be representing maybe the category or I'd get left out of conversations around diversity. So I've been much more adamant about standing up and saying, I'm from New Mexico. This is where I come from. This is why I'm doing this. The challenges are really around the category, I think, for the most part. What sort of conversations would you like to see happening in the space and especially considering you know the importance of diversity and inclusion to you as an individual i think the first one that i would like to see more of is age it's it's something that we don't talk enough about we talk about gender and i truly believe that there have been there's been a lot of movement forward for inclusion on gender although the the response to having these big legacy male-focused condom companies has been these very hyper-feminine female-focused companies. I don't think that solves the issue either. Mod sits squarely in the middle. But beyond that, we also see a lack of age inclusion. And as you're an aging, especially as an aging woman, I've said it in other interviews, like I'm 38, I, I realize like how angled at young people sex sexual wellness companies have really been and and it's really unfortunate because we have sex later in life. People over 35 have more sex statistically, but also just the changes that we go through and our relationships changing over time is really what needs to be addressed here. So I think age inclusion is what I hope to see more of. Absolutely. And then you said mod sits kind of in the middle. So how does mod solve these problems and how does it address some of the conversations that you've mentioned? So the first thing is we've really democratized like the assortment of products to say these things all have equal value. So we have condoms, lubricants, and a vibe. And then we we don't treat the vibe like this add-on sex toy. It's, you know, we don't infantilize it the way other companies do. Um, and then we've created products around intimacy. And in doing that, our approach is really evergreen. Like intimacy is not just the act of sex. These are conversations you're going to have for the rest of your life. How can we create products for you that will be useful to you throughout life? So that's how we're solving for it on the product side. On the content side, we have three verticals under the modern and the essential speaks to an 18 to 25 year old audience. The modern is 25 to 45 and the golden is 45 and up. And we try to be cognizant that those experiences and life stages um, don't always look the same. So that's how we try to include people. And then generally speaking, let's talk about the role of innovation in the sexual wellness industry. So outside of what you've already mentioned, what does innovation look like in this industry? And why do you think there hasn't been innovation until now outside of the political factors that you, of course, discussed? So there's been, a, I will say, there's been a lot of innovation on the toy side. 
um, you know, you hear the term sex tech getting thrown around a lot, but in my opinion, it's almost so advanced for people to think about (laughs) these hyper tech focused solutions when they can't even talk about the basics of sex. So when I think of innovation, I'm coming from the perspective of the, like, what is the, brand look like? What does the messaging look like? And then what does the customer sentiment look like? And that's where you can innovate. Because if you can culturally shift the the way that we're approaching sex and talking about it, I think that's where innovation um, comes in. But that's also what's really needed. I think creating you know, a new toy that does 10 things or a condom that does X, Y, and Z, that's not the issue. People don't want to use condoms. Let's talk about that, right? So it's interesting because it's almost like emotional innovation. So how do you define that? What what does emotional innovation mean like to you? Um, you know, creating a paradigm shift around how we how we think about sex in our lives. And that's gonna it's gonna take first of all, it's gonna take depoliticizing the topic. It's gonna take making sure that there's access to basic information and and then making sure that these products whether it's our company or another company or many companies are in places that are accessible to people. Um, and that's a whole nother topic, which is like, where, where do you find these products? And, and, and you see this in other categories like beauty. Uh, so I think there's a lot of room for us to run and I'm really excited about changing the industry in that way. So let's take a hypothetical and pretend that we are in a world where mod does not exist and you are Chief Innovation Officer at Church and Dwight, Trojan's parent company. <laughs> what would you do differently, and how would you approach innovating without starting a small, very intimate brand such as Mod? I don't know. That's a tough question because I think there is so much. This is like it has such a history, and there's, um, you know, it's synonymous with a condom. It's very hard for you to turn the perception around. So. I mean, in one way, I might modernize the existing brand, but I don't know that the consumer will buy into that. I think it would really require creating a sub-brand. I don't, I don't actually think that Church and Dwight can, can turn their, the entire perception of their history and their, their products around. It would be such a huge risk for them. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't think there's another solution. I think in other categories there are, but they're not as they're not as weighted emotionally as sex. Very interesting. I know you brought up the fact that uh, gender does play a role as far as the marketing of these products, like there are products that are created that are meant to be for women or for men. Uh, The way that you've approached solving the problem is from a more genderless um, angle. Why do you think that is? And and what is the importance of that in uh, your product and your brand? I mean, the reality is that sex is human it's, you know, I've, you've heard me say it before, just in conversation, it's like food. It's not, you have sex with another person. And if you're in a heterosexual relationship, you're having sex with the other gender. So to come to the table with really gendered products doesn't really make much sense. These are decisions that are often made in partnership. So we thought about this as like, how can you make products for people? And whatever their gender is, because there's a gender spectrum as well. So Gender and sex are related, but they're not always. And I think that that's important to note um, in terms of approaching like product, product marketing and product usage. Because a 
female brand who releases a male condom, but is like, these are female. Well, what does that mean? I don't, <laughs> I don't understand what that means. Right. Right. Um, and then talking back a little bit about your background, you did say you were an early team member at Everlane, obviously another very prominent startup. Everlane has faced a lot of criticism recently because of its cultures and allegation of misconduct. You are now your own founder and CEO. So are there lessons that you learned through working at startups that you took to your own company? And what is the role of culture, inclusion, and diversity internally in making Mod what it is? I think you know, what, what happened, and I think you know this, I, I was a social media manager who had studied, I got my, I got my associates in marketing, but I ended up getting my, my bachelor's in organizational communication. And I was really excited to help build the team. So I ended up taking on the role of head of culture and hiring. And I often felt like I was advocating for us to care about people. And it was fast moving and growing. And sometimes that's just a byproduct. Unfortunately, it's a byproduct of fast growing companies is that culture goes by the wayside. But I was of the philosophy that it's absolutely has to be embedded in the company from day one to to care about people internally. And so I ended up leaving for a number of reasons, including, including that, to be honest. And as it stands now, I... We're a really small team still. We're almost three years old, but we're five people. My team is more important than, you know, anything. Um, and I, I really think that in order to be successful, you have to create a environment and a culture that is conducive to efficiency, but also happiness and communication and all of these things. So I don't think companies succeed, truly, truly succeed without caring about people. And how do you scale that? I think you scale it by making sure that there is leadership that is qualified and onboarded to continue to create like inclusive environments and thoughtful, you know, environments. And I think that's really what sometimes is lacking in companies, especially startups, because they won't hire a chief people officer or think about culture till much later. You're like, I need a product manager and I need a, you know, and, who hires ahead of culture early? So if it's not going to be the founder, it's got to be somebody in in leadership who takes on that role. But I think it's really important to do early. Understood and, and absolutely agreed. Uh, you yourself did become a CEO um, pretty young in your career after many years of experience. But how did you know you were ready? How, how did you know to pull the trigger and start the company? I never thought I would be a CEO per se. I think that for me, it's like I'm a founder that I got put in the, you know, that I have the title CEO sometimes just feels like a formality. But um, I knew I was ready because I, I was so passionate about what I was building with Maud. And I felt like I had been working my entire career for this moment. And I knew that I would commit to any challenge that came my way. I don't know that any it's not enough to have a good idea. It's, it's, it does require, I think, experience in, in working with other people and having a varied experience. And you don't always find that in founders. So for me, it was like, I felt ready because I had already had 15 years of working experience. Well, if not more, because I've been working since I was 14. So the first thing is I knew that I was passionate about the, the company itself. And the second one was that I knew that I would, that I would be pulling from all of my experiences in order to do it. Is there something you would have done differently in your career, whether related to mod or not? 
yes, there are many things I would have done. <laughs> I, I think the first thing is I would have, I think I would have made sure that where I was working there, you know, there are times and we've all probably been there where you go and you take a job and you, you weigh maybe the pay or the benefits or something else more than what the actual value is to you personally. So I think I would have made a couple of different decisions. I wouldn't have been so afraid and just taken a job because it seemed like a great paycheck or, uh, you know, so that's one is just, I would have made different decisions if I knew like where I was going to end up. And then the second one is I would have surrounded myself with maybe different people early on in mod. So what sort of people would you recommend that, you know, we look to surround ourselves with as, as women that are rising in our careers or as people really? Well, I think to be frank, like as women, we believe that we need help recognize that you are going to face sexism that as the world that we're living in. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're not qualified, if not more than, you know, your male counterpart to, to do the job. And so if you can understand that you're going to face that to begin with and that you're going to start off as a deficit, you can hopefully emotionally prepare yourself to make up for that. So that's that's on the personal side. I think in terms of just hiring, don't run before you walk. I have now really truly understood the meaning behind like hire slow, fire fast. So get as much advice as you can about who are the right hires for your company. Do your diligence. Maybe you get an advisor who can who can help you work through when is the right time to hire for a particular role. Um, and don't just grab every warm body you, you see. Because <laughs> I think sometimes, especially when you raise money, it's very easy to think like, okay, now I have to have like three senior leadership people and I have to have, two, you know, it's like, hold, hold on. And, and also you want to make sure you're building a company of people that are going to stick around. So you do want to hire slow. Yeah, makes total sense. So you probably make hundreds of choices every single day when it comes to your company and your your career. What are some resources that have been really helpful in making you shape the the decisions that you take? I think there's a lot of like organizational tools that I use and what I the feedback that I've received from, you know, when we're working with like we have a CFO who's um, they sit in a fractional capacity. So like when we work with their team, they're like, you're a very organized company for being so small. I think building an organization from day one as if it is truly a company. So having processes, having things written down, making sure everybody knows where they can find things. Those are those are really important. And then surrounding yourself with people who are going through what you're going through because they're also asking similar questions and they're finding resources and advice from places that will make a difference to you. So don't look to the person five or 10 years ahead, like try to find somebody maybe a year ahead. So surrounding yourself with really your compatriots, your <laughs> contemporaries is sometimes more helpful than trying to pull in very senior advice. Awesome. And has there been like a book or a movie that you think really shaped you or you can recommend to those listening to this podcast, whether that's in the innovation space or the sexual wellness space or any other? I mean, in the sexual wellness space, there are so many great books. Um, there, you know, Victoria Woodhull was the first woman to run for president. She fought Anthony Comstock and the Comstock laws. I hope that one day that story gets told. Reading about Reading about the history of, of this industry has been helpful to me in recognizing that 
A, I'm not completely charting new territory. There's so much to pull from in what worked and what didn't work. And there's also a lot of uh, sort of a lot of inspiration from that. So I recommend that if you're whatever category you're going into, like really deep dive and figure out who came before you so that you understand where to go forward. Before I let you go, I'd love to ask you a question about innovation. Where do you see yourself and your industry in a month from now, in a year from now, and 10 years from now? Well, in a month from now, we're going to be announcing something exciting. So I know where we'll be then. I can't talk about it now. Um, In a year from now, I would like to see us really be more omni-channel. We've had some of those opportunities come our way, and it takes a bit of time to get those off the ground. And I think 10 years from now, I hope to be, even if Mod gets acquired, I hope to be working at Mod. I think that what we're building is absolutely a global company. It's needed in almost everywhere. And and my goal is for us to become a household name, not because I'm interested in in me being visible, but because I absolutely believe in what we're doing and how impactful it can be. Hopefully in 10 years, there will be standardized sex education in the US. Love it. Well, thank you so, so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.